You're tuned in to Positively Terrible. I'm producer Dan, and each week my buddy Scott and I discuss surviving and thriving after trauma. It's a journey that started when Scott, his wife's fiance, and her boyfriend all walked into a bar. This week's decent human being is Desi. She's got a fucked up story about her decade of doom. Settle in, my terrible listeners. Today's episode is going to be Positively Terrible. Hey, Scott. Hey, Dan. How are you doing today? Man, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing all right. Mildly disappointed you got through the intro on one try this time. You've, you, The last couple of weeks, you have stumbled your way through it. So I was looking forward to a good laugh to start the morning. So now you're going to have to work extra hard to make me laugh elsewhere. I'm sure that I will screw up in the very near future, and you Thank can laugh you. at me all you want. You, you're nothing if not dependable. I will say that. <laughs> And, and, and there, oh, go ahead. You're, you're opening your mouth. You're going to take a drink. I'm trying to talk to you while you're doing that. That was the giggle that I love to hear every time. So today's goal is actually, we're not even going to do an interview. We're just going to try to make Dan laugh today. How's that sound, Desi? <laughs> that sounds awesome. I am totally up for the challenge. <laughs> challenge accepted. Uh, well, I, I think we will still have to do the interview. That is what the fans tune in for. But uh, if you it. make... They, they demand it. If we make Dan laugh a couple of times, I think they demand the giggle as well. So, Desi, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am doing well. Good. And Dan just read the intro and said, you are here to talk about your decade of doom. I've I never have had no someone... idea what that's about, and I can't <laughs> wait to hear this story. Well, I've never had someone describe, we've never had someone describe their stories quite like that. So... What, you know, give us a little teaser here. What What is this decade of doom? Um, I guess what I can compare it to is y'all remember Chuck E. Cheese in the game Whack-A-Mole and the, <laughs> and the moles pop up, of but course. it's just trauma, right? So it's <laughs> like tough shit and trauma and you're just whacking it down and you're like, oh shit, another mole popped up, you know? <laughs> and so that's been my life for the last 10 years. It's like trauma whack-a-mole. I mean... It explains it a little bit in ways. So I guess I guess what we'll do here then, Dan, I, th I think we will doing an, an interview today. We'll ask some questions. We'll find out. We will hear about the whack-a-moling, whack-a-whacking of trauma, <laughs> whack-a-moling of trauma. <laughs> I'm not sure the grammatically correct way to say that. I'm not sure there is a grammatically correct way to say that. So let's just get into it. Desi, let's back up. Let's back up a little bit. And I'm just interested and even before kind of this decade of doom, who are you? Who were you growing up? Um, I was the youngest of what my dad described as the first crop. He had two <laughs> different families. The giggle. I like it. See, it, it's working, Desi. And I can't even take credit for that term. So, um, yeah. And uh, I was the caboose. And so I just tried to fit in. And I grew up in a very interesting family. My dad... Uh, was we, we had a jukebox he restored old slot machines he restored antique cars like i grew up with a very interesting unique childhood it sounds um, like I, 
Oh man, I had a four wheeler when I was like 10 and I, and we lived in this small town in Louisiana and I just drive on the roads. Like I had a car when I was 10, I'd go to the gas station. I mean, it was amazing. And then my parents got, my parents got divorced. Oh yeah. And then my dad had a charge account. So it was like free. I just go sign my name. Right. Okay. Um, I was a little spoiled. Um, <laughs> I will admit it. Uh, I, like and my parents... read, I like when I ask you about your yourself and your family life or growing up. The first thing you say after being part of the first crop uh, was that you had a jukebox. <laughs> I like that this is the thing that you start with. I grew up with a jukebox. I'm I'm impressed. Well, it was, was a defining it was a defining thing in my household. Well, my dad's good friend also, you know, the there used to be an arcade rental game, like that was a business plan, right? Yeah. So um one of my dad's good friends, he would rent out like the Pac-Man machines to the pizza parlor and stuff. <laughs> and so he had an in with all this cool stuff. And yeah, played old 45s and then with his second family, he actually upgraded and had one that played CDs. But um Everybody loved coming over to our house because it was a freaking party all the time. So everybody was at my house all the time. It was awesome. (laughs) First, I will say that Dan knows I would hate that. I I enjoy my solitude. (laughs) So I don't tell a lot of people this, but when they text me and say, what are you doing or where are you at? Even if I'm at home, my first response is out uh, at the store, whatever, because I don't want people dropping by my house. But you yeah. came from the party house in a, I'm hoping in at least at times, it sounds like a positive way, jukebox. Do you have any billiards or anything like that in the basement? He had, well, well in Louisiana, the only basement you have is an indoor swimming pool. Oh, I, you did so, say Louisiana. It's a good point. <laughs> I mean, Scott, when I moved to, I, I live in Atlanta now and uh, outside of Atlanta and I have a partial basement. I mean, that's where I'm recording today. And I remember like going to my first basement. I was like, what is this? Like, what is this? Like, it's bizarre to me. Well, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's, but it's bizarre. But, um, so we did have a pool. My dad had a pool table. Ah, he bought his old high school. That's a whole nother story. And we got, we got a pool table in that deal. So that was our first pool table. But then he, he had one in, he had a game room when he died. He actually had, Yes, a pool table was part of the smattering of crazy shit that he uh, had in that game room. And he Mm -hmm. also made moonshine. (laughs) (laughs) And I would help him stir the mash. That sounds like life skills. uh, So he he hmm. brought you up with some tools. It, it, It sounds like you're not agreeing with that. Well, I just, I was never there when he was actually distilling it. I was just there when... We'd mix it in a 55-gallon drum with a canoe paddle. It was uh, it, it was our quality time in the evenings. We'd go down the hill to the shop and stir the mash. So. You know, I worked in a brewery for a number of years, and I can tell you that we stirred the mash with essentially a stainless steel canoe paddle. So not much has changed. Oh, well, this was like a plastic shitty one from Walmart. Okay. So. I don't think I, I don't think food safety will really enter the equation back then. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had an opportunity to try his moonshine? Um, well, he's dead now. Okay. He, he died uh, in 1998. I still have a bottle of his moonshine, but in the casket, we put bottles of moon because he would also um 
put it in, he would save the IBC cream soda bottles because when you put it in an empty cream soda bottle, it looked like cream soda. And he just put the cap back on, like just put the little twist top back on. And so we carried a six pack of that shit to Disney World on an airplane <laughs> in the 90s so that he and my stepmother could make cocktails in the evening. They go to the free soda bar in the fancy hotel we were staying at and then come back and mix the moonshine in with it and have their cocktails. And I just I'm looking back and I'm like, this would never you could not do that today. <laughs> Well, but three, yeah, so three ounces I, at a time, you can travel with it, probably. Yeah, but <laughs> I mean, we had a, a, that, a whole six pack of what are those 12 ounce bottles? Um, anyway, uh, it was check so that now. <sighs> no, I mean, you're gonna check. I would not trust twist tops in a what? check bag. Yeah. I mean, okay, people are doing it with Listerine. <laughs> he would find a way, like, he if he was still here, he would find a way. Because people are doing with like vodka and Listerine and like, I've seen these videos. Have y'all seen those videos on no. social media? How to I mean, cheat well, on. I, I, I don't know, but I think this sounds like another episode. <laughs> anyway, I know. I'm sorry. We're going no, down a tangent. I, I took I it down this, this tangent. I, I took it down this tangent and I'm not disappointed. <laughs> I will probably be sending you a bunch of follow-up questions later just for my own benefit. Maybe <sighs> maybe because it sounds like it sounds like an interesting childhood. I'll I'll start with that. Did so were you you said it was always a party where were you kind of the house that was the hangout house for your friends like if something's going on, Desi's inviting all her little 12-year-old friends over to have a sleepover. Um, well, when my parents got divorced, my mom went bananas and like she's like, I'm single and I'm gonna date. And so I went to it depended, right? So she married somebody who loved to travel and he had his pilot's license so they could fly. And she was like, Oh, you think this is a great thing? But she was like, That damn plane is like a toothpaste. She called it the toothpaste tube. And then she was like, you fly into these tiny little airports. So they traveled a lot. And so my parents were gone a lot because I was the caboose. And um, so I'd be like, oh, y'all come over and have a party. And then I would get tired at 10 o'clock and kick everybody out. So <laughs> in theory, I was the person that always had access to a house with no parental supervision. But in reality, I was the person that liked to go to bed on time. And then I would kick people out of the house and then they would leave. They one time they shoved all of their beer bottles in the mailbox. And I did not know this because they were <laughs> mad at me. And so when my mom came home, she checked the mail and she said, Desi, next time you're going to have a party when we're out of town. Could you please just ask your people to put their beer bottles in the recycling bin? And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so does that answer it for you? Like if I was cooler than yes. But you sound like you were the perfect amount of cool for me. I loved a bedtime growing up. I will say that the similar story in my household has to do with my sister who stuffed the beer bottles in a Power Rangers birthday bag. And my little brother was a Power Rangers fan. And it was quite apparent when I think it was like thrown in the bushes behind my neighbor's house or some shit when the neighbor found it. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, I was probably 14, 15 at the time. So not sure. But I feel like she brought it over and it was just like, uh, I think this is yours. And of course it was. And it wasn't the eight year old who was having the birthday uh, who was drinking out of those bottles. So uh, it's easy to get busted. The disposing part is probably the second most important part over the 
you know, don't run in traffic or go driving or do stupid shit that's going to get you found out. So yes. you had the the party house, weren't necessarily the partier, but overall, would you say fairly well adjusted or is some of this unusual upbringing? I'm just going to say unusual. It doesn't sound like anything bad at this point that I've heard. But it's different than my experience, and I don't know a lot of moonshiners or people <laughs> dating people with airplanes or any of that stuff. So did you find it to be a pretty normal childhood? Um, I thought it was just because when you're – I mean, when you're growing up, you think your childhood is normal. I knew that my dad grew up in a very chaotic household. His mother was a very – she was an active alcoholic. Um, I did not realize until after he died the abuses that he suffered. As a, he died when I was 21. So I was starting to know him as an adult. And um, that was traumatic. The divorce was kind of traumatic. Um, there was some history there. He had, you know, he had a relationship outside of my parents' marriage and they had a child together. And um, so that was a little bit of shock of this person is your step you know, your half sister. And mm -hmm. I was like, no, she's my stepsister. And he's like, no, let's talk about the difference between half and step. And I'm right. like, oh, so other than that, but I mean, so many people have been through mm -hmm. stuff like that. Um, losing my dad when I was 21 was hard. It was like six months before I graduated from college. But you know, the interesting thing is I thought that going through that stuff made me resilient. And I was like, I felt almost, I don't even want to say bulletproof, but I felt like, okay, I have been in therapy because my dad put us all in therapy when he filed for divorce. And cause he, I think he knew how much he had screwed us all up. Um, but after he died, like there was some garbage that we had to deal with in terms of emotional and relationship garbage. And I don't want to get into that. Um, that was just hard when you're dealing with two different families and sitting in lawyers offices and you're 20, you know, you're, you and your siblings are all in your twenties. Thank God. My sister was a lawyer, but she wasn't an estate lawyer. Um, but you know, we really didn't have many rights and it was just painful. There was a lot of pain. And when you lose somebody, my dad died of a massive heart attack. I was supposed to have lunch with him the next day. So it was like super sudden two days after Christmas, like not, not great timing there, bud. But um, so that was, it, it was traumatic, but I kind of just chalked it up to like, okay, like this is just life. But the last 10 years, it just felt like, it's been like, could I catch a break? You know, like whoever, whatever's going up on up there, I don't know why y'all keep drawing my card, but I would like to unsubscribe from the shit list. You know, yeah, this you become, email list is not serving me. <laughs> you, <laughs> you become informed. You learn things about survival, but I sure as hell wouldn't recommend it. Um, if there's a way to, to build this experience and knowledge and be able to survive and become strong and resilient, the ways you get that are not fun. So I'm, I'm sorry you've been through that. Is the Is his death the beginning of your decade of doom? Is oh it, God, no! Oh, mm -mm. Uh, is it part of or <laughs> no? Or, no, okay. this okay. is all the prequel. Uh, no, it's okay. it started. I think um, I was in a marriage, and there were moments of unhappiness. I grew up in a family, like I mentioned, that my grandmother is an active. She was an active alcoholic. Mm -hmm. That's you know whiskey in the coffee, like. It's just not a good, that's not a good thing. Um, 
not every day, you know, right. it's just not. It. So, um, I grew up seeing addiction all over me and alcoholism. And so I was like, I am never going to be, you know, I'm never going to be in this situation. And yeah, don't say that because then those patterns feel familiar to you. And so what was happening is I had a problem with the amount of alcohol and my husband was drinking, but I kept shoving it down and I stayed busy. But probably about 10 years ago is when I started to realize that it was changing me in ways and maybe changing him. Like it was not workable and, and it was becoming very clear. And, um, and that was hard for me to face. But in the midst of that, his dad got diagnosed with a terminal form of lung cancer. And so I sprung into action and I was like, I know the pain of losing a parent and we are going to have no regrets. And like, and then I was just like planning all these things and doing all this stuff. And I was like, who's going to love me? Like who would love me? Like I'm loving everybody else. And I, I was in Al-Anon by then and I was facing hard truths about how my concern over his drinking was changing me and how I didn't like the person I was, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to change the things I can. And yes. so I was going down that road. I was changing. His dad was dying and it was scary. And so that, it, that was the beginning. And then 2015, his dad passed. He lost his, there's a whole like slew of things. I was trying to start a business because I knew that I didn't want to do what I was doing anymore. And so I had quit my job, but I was still paying my half of the bills. <laughs> and he came home from work one day and was like, I lost my job. And I'm like, what the hell? And he was not supportive of me building a business. He didn't like it. Um, and I had told him from the day we had met that that was always my dream. And so um, I said, you know, let's let's turn this into a gift. Go spend time with your dad. Like we didn't know how sick his dad was. Um but it turns out that his dad died within two weeks of that. So it was good that he got to go do that. So we get through all of the burial stuff. And then I get some information that, because we had been in counseling for years. And you know that things are not good when you go to the counseling office and you're sitting there in your therapy session. And like you get so frustrated and you say, this isn't working. And your therapist says, I agree. Do I need to suggest someone else? And I was like, please, God, yes. And, or, you know, maybe, you know, and, and my ex was like, nope, we are. And I was like, oh, geez. So we were stuck. So thank God that therapist retired <laughs> to okay. find somebody else. So you didn't have a choice. Uh, which was good. I kind of, right. I liked that. I don't know if he ever retired, but I was like, I'll go along with this plan. Um <laughs> But in, in August of 2015, I got some information that I was like, this is absolutely done. Kind of like when you had your moment of realization of all the shenanigans your ex yeah. was up to. Yeah. I so got can, that. Yeah. And, and I'm going to stop you right here for a second. Mm -hmm. And that sounds like an important moment for us. Um, but I want to go back just a little bit mm -hmm. because you said that you recognized that his drinking was changing you. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh. How mm -hmm. was it changing you? I was becoming obsessed with how much is he drinking? Um, 
a neighbor said that they saw a car that was similar to his putting beer bottles in their recycling bin. And I was convinced it was him. And I was like, he's drinking again. And he told me it wasn't. And I would count how many trips he came down to the beer fridge. Um, I just, it was not, I don't know. I was on edge all the time. It, it sounds like it was just weighing on everything then. So during yeah, and- that time, maybe that was... I don't want to say consuming you, but it sounds like it was one of the things that was probably always somewhere in your mind, no matter what you were trying to do. Yes. And I had a a couple of years before that, I had a friend that called me out. We we went for a cheat meal. I used to go to a CrossFit gym. And so we go to five guys for cheat meals. Oh, you're a CrossFit and person? No, not anymore. <laughs> um, so I uh, we're sitting at five guys. She's like, I just want you to be happy. And I was like, I am happy. And she's like, no, you're not. And she kept pushing me. And so eventually I have this spiritual awakening in a five guys over my <laughs> leftover French fries. We, and I'm like, all, I, we've all had that. It's awful because then people are like, why is she crying over her burger? <laughs> and, um, it's but you know what? This good. The friend had some really good advice. She said, I think you're too close to the situation. And I think you need to leave the house. And get away for a few days so you can think straight. And what she, what I interpret what she may have been saying is there's some, there may be some manipulation going on and, and you're unable to really trust what you are feeling. And looking back on that, that's probably more true. Um, My therapist was like, yeah, you can do that, but you need to go to Al-Anon every day that you're out of the house. So I pretty much just bounced around to whoever I could get a decent hotel room at a decent price and lived out of my car for about five days. I would check in with him every day to let him know via text that I was alive and I was okay, but that I just needed some space. But that was like the first crack of, hmm, something's up. Yeah. Okay. So he was drinking. You said you were kind of consumed i actually i'm the only one who's used word consumed uh, you said that you were like paying attention to how much he's drinking was it was he a daily drinker was he a get up in the morning and drink what what, what did his drinking look like um it was after work but it was like it was like sometimes it was like i went to this bar and i and like he would talk about his new friends and i'm like how are you spending this much time at this bar to have friends and so it was just it was i don't know this is like in it was inconsistent sometimes he would try to back off and stop like there would there would be times where he would just drink a lot and then it would get out of hand you know in public or at a family thing and then he would say I'm going to stop and then that would last about a week and then he would you slowly start easing back into it. So by the time his dad died, I had started putting boundaries in place which were not going that great. Um but I had started taking steps to understanding what I could control and what I couldn't. Um I, I, I say that so often. Yeah. And I mean that's serenity prayer, you know. Mm-hmm. And um I don't harbor ill will to him. I mean, I, I really, I did everything I could. I had multiple people tell me that to try to save the marriage. And I don't have any animosity towards him, but I also can't be in contact with him for my own um, mental health. And, and I just, I hope and pray that he's found his way. Yeah. And it sounds like 
you and I do have actually a lot of similarities in our feelings about the things that have happened, even if they're much different. So it does sound like you're in a pretty good place, at least as far as understanding what's healthy for you and being able to move on the best you can. And I really want to get to the part where I interrupted you and you're getting to what, what I call my D day. But I, I have one more question that I think is important considering that, you know, this is supposed to be a mental health and a, a podcast that's helpful for people. But how did you get connected with Al-Anon? Was it something that, I mean, I think you mentioned your therapist said something about mm-hmm. Al-Anon. Did they point you in that direction? Yes. Um, I had an individual therapist that I've been seeing for a while and she kept, she, she was planting that Al-Anon C for a number of years. And okay. I went to a meeting, you know, a few years before I was ready and it didn't resonate with me. And I remember thinking, I remember going back at some point and being like, oh, I'm understanding this now. <laughs> so if there's anybody out there listening, just approach it with in yoga teacher training. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, we we say the beginner's mind. So just have an open mind and a curiosity. And instead of going and looking for all the ways that you're different, look for the similarities. Because when I started reading How Al-Anon Works, which is one of their books, I was like, this sounds like a bi- biography of my life. Like the chaotic home life is very, very um, common in, in homes with addiction. And, wh- you know... I I don't really know. My dad had, he had some things that he he was in chronic pain. So there was a lot of painkillers that he took. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know well enough if he was addicted to it, but those addiction patterns felt very familiar to me. And to some extent, they become normal, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, totally. And you don't know when things, like you said, when growing up, you thought your childhood, you might have said that it was normal. It sound, And you mentioned also your friend telling you, you know, that you could be happy or however that was phrased. And it's like, I've been there where you don't even know what happy is. Mm-hmm. Happy. You don't. Oh, go ahead. Well, you what I was doing, Scott, is instead of numbing with a substance, I was numbing with busyness. Um, I learned to sew. (laughs) I learned to knit. I taught myself how to crochet. I always had a craft project on me. I was like, it was great. You know, you're very productive. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, when you don't stop and feel, and I think I see a lot of people walking through life like that, they don't have time to deal with their feelings. Yeah. And it's exhausting and you don't even know it. And when you finally have, a sustained amount of time where you're happy. It's something you never knew could exist. I I used to say that happy was like the Cubs, my favorite baseball team won today. And for a couple hours, I'm feeling pretty good about that. And that, that ain't happiness. It's a good, it's a good day maybe, but that's not what being genuinely happy is. And it's such a shame that you can convince yourself and I can convince myself that just not being absolutely miserable is being happy because <laughs> I think that's what I convinced myself. Well, I think, you know, I was telling my sister this a couple, uh, I realized when I was a freshman in college, I had a roommate and sweet person. I mean, absolutely nothing. She was just a very kind, but she was genuinely happy. 
well-adjusted. My sister knows her family because my sister um, knows her older sister very well. And they're the same age. And it would annoy me that she was so happy. And I didn't connect these dots. And I'm like, well, so-and-so is happy because she just has a perfect life. And she has a boyfriend that loves her. And And so I was recreating my own story about why my life sucked and why I couldn't ever be happy. And I had complete control over changing my perspective. Mm -hmm. But I didn't understand that at 18 years old as a freshman in college. And you you might not have realized that you even should or that you needed to no but i see the younger generation one of my clients right now i'm a coach now and she's in her 20s early 20s and the insights that she's having i'm like if i could have had that when i was your age (laughs) i've i've recognized that as well that people are approaching life more intentionally it seems like and in their goals and their mental health and all of that and all of that is great but i want to get back to your, I mean, we've talked, we've got a lot of moles to whack and I, I feel like we're going kind of slowly here and that's my fault. You guys, but, yeah, it, I'll blame Scott too. I want to get to the fucked up story. Oh, but, this is, this is just the beginning. <laughs> All right. So I know. I'm going to shut the hell up a little bit for now. And I'm just going to say, Desi, you, you got to this point where it was the D day, the IO, yes. the whatever. Can you tell us a little bit about that while I mute myself and just, pay attention. Okay. So it was a Thursday night and I get this information. Um, and I went and slept in the other room and I was like, I need to leave. Like I'm scared. Like I'm gonna, I need to, I need to gather myself. Um, but there were a lot of weapons in the house and I was concerned about me leaving. Cause I, cause I had asked him about it and he's, he was like, I never cheated on you, but it was a data breach. That's that's all I'll say is it was a data breach. I found out some information that I was not okay with. And he was like, I never cheated on you. And I was like, mm, it came pretty freaking close. And, um, and the, you know, it was, then it was some deflection and, um, about the whole situation. I was like, I, I'm not cool with this. And it was, that was the line in the sand where I was just like, nope. And, um, so the next day I called in sick to work because it was like, I'm not functioning. Um, you feel it's like, it's very traumatic when that, when you get news that is very definitive that you need to act. Um, and he worked from home that day. <laughs> I was like, damn it. So uh, he went out for dog food at lunch and I saw an opening and I packed a backpack of anything, just enough clothes to get me through a week. Uh, and my toiletries and I took off and I took uh, as many weapons as I could get my hands on to try to decrease the chances that he would harm me or somebody else. Um, I was genuinely afraid. I mean, uh, I don't say that lightly. I turned them over to someone who I knew could put them in a very safe place and would safe keep them. But that's how he knew that I left was that he recognized that um, I had taken his property um, and that the anger was directed at me. And I went and lived with a friend and uh, they took me in and I lived with her family for a couple months. He convinced me to go to some therapy appointments and eventually convinced me to drop the filing uh, for divorce. And my sister <laughs> was like, 
girl, you are almost through the really painful part. Keep going. It gets easier. And I didn't listen to her. She had been through something similar um, years before. And uh, I went back. And so in 2016, that was 2015, late 2015, 2016, I knew things were not working. Long story short, which I will not get into, he ended up working where I went to work. Um, There's some, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Um, There was one person at my job that knew what I was going through was my direct boss. She was very supportive, but I didn't want to turn into a rumor mill. This was before I got, before he got hired. So my boss knew that, you know, the Monday after I moved out of the house the first time, she was like, what do you need to do? And I told her and she said, just go take however long it needs to take because she had been through a divorce. Um, so um, I come in. So my husband gets, my ex-husband gets this job where I am working. It's a smaller company. I was like, well, we're on the same floor. But he's in another, you know, he's in another area and I don't have to see him all the time. Can but I it was still kind of, yeah. Right now, did, was this intentional? Was this supposed to be intimidating? Was it because he wanted access to you or did he just need a job? And hell of a coincidence. So um, when he lost his job, there was a job opening at this company that I had just interviewed with that was perfect for him. And so I sent it to him. That was in April. Um, they hired somebody else. They never interviewed him. They hired somebody else. They offered me a job. And at that point, I was like, you're unemployed. We need health insurance. I'm going to go back to work. Um, that person that they hired for that role that I recommended to him didn't work out. I don't know what happened because I wasn't privy to if he reapplied when it reopened, if they just contacted him because he had applied before. Okay. I don't know. But um, I don't know the details of that. All I know is that while I was out of the house, he was interviewing for a job where I worked. And if I would have known that, um, I, yeah, I wish I would have known before he got to like the final round of interviews. And then when he, I was like, I'm not comfortable with you working there. And he was like, too late. I accepted the job. So um I tried to speak up, but I didn't want to go to HR because HR was one dude, you know? And then I was like, this is going to become a rumor mill. So I just tried to, I was like, well, we're trying to work it out. We'll just figure it out. But then I come to work early in 2016 and little did I know our company was in financial trouble. We were being bought out. They laid off my boss. So I had no ally at work anymore. And then I had a tremendous, I almost lost my job, which inadvertently I saved it the day before. (laughs) Because the CEO comes up to your desk. If the CEO comes up to your desk and says, uh, I don't know what you do here. Can you come meet me in my office and explain it to me? Um, do a really crappy job of that because it probably means you're going to get a package the next day. <laughs> that would have been perfect, right? But I ended up saving my job because I was too freaking intelligent. And anyway, and so I come in the next day, my boss loses her job. And then they consolidate our office because they've laid off so many staff and I, my cubicle faces his. So now I have no escape. <laughs> and so I went to HR and was like, I need a leave of absence. So I went out on leave of absence, come back. And then um, my home state flooded like two thirds of the state or a third of the state. I don't know. So I jump in, I get like this message and it was like, you need to help these people. And so I created a website and one night started matching families that had been flooded with families that wanted to help. 
it consumed me. It gave me purpose. And what I recognize now is that I could empathize with the people that had lost everything because I knew I was about to lose it. And I jumped into serving these people. It was the most rewarding. I had no job. I had no income. I was actually bleeding money. I was spending money to rent U-Haul trucks and drive down there. And some guy requested a working riding lawnmower. And I could tell you the miracles that happened. Somebody in my neighborhood was giving one away. And I put it in the back of our pickup truck and drove it down there. And he was like, what do you want for this? And I'm like, it's free. Like, this is yours. And he was like, okay. I mean, it was incredible. I just, I met the most... I really should write a book about it. I have some notes and it was an incredible experience. So that gave me purpose and drive. Then in early 2017, still had no job. um, Didn't know what I was going to do. Filed for divorce again. I found a different divorce lawyer. I go to tell, I tell her some of this stuff. She's like, do you want alimony? You, You could qualify for alimony. And I was like, no, I want out of this as quickly as possible. I ended up interviewing for a job that I was overqualified for, not directly qualified, but I could do it. And I show up and they're like, we really like you and we really, we need your skills, but we're going to hire somebody else for this job, but we're going to figure out how to bring you on. I was like, okay, well, I ain't got nothing else going on. (laughs) And it was just kind of like, I was jumping, you know, out of the airplane and hoping my parachute would open. And I got a, I got a contract job with them. So I at least had employment, but it by, I think he left, he moved out of the house. So I was still living out of my car because I, I want to say I moved out again, like early 2017, we had a giant fight around Christmas and late 2016. Um, and we had a giant p- trip planned the next day. Cause he, his thing was, we just need to go on vacation. We just haven't had any fun. And if we just have some fun. So I booked like this fancy spa um, weekend and da, 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 and it was thousands of dollars. Um, and the night before he left, he uh, and I had a giant fight, which I'm not going to get into the details of that. Cause we only have an hour, but um <laughs> I was sobbing. I would cry so hard. And I had never experienced this, that I would hyperventilate. Oh, my. Um, I would not with the death of my dad, like none of I had never experienced this, but it was this some deep trauma of what is happening. Um, and I would, then I would get a migraine. So I woke up the next day and I had this giant migraine. He was like, it's okay. We just won't go down this trip and blah, blah, blah. And I had texted one of my friends and she was like, I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to lose like thousands of dollars. She's like, go by yourself. I was like, huh? That's a good idea. (laughs) So I I got my suitcase out and I packed it, honey. And he, I said, no, I'm going to go by myself. Ever, all the reservations are in my name. So I packed the car and I left. And I went on that vacation by myself and it was weird and cause it was holidays and like everybody's with their families. And here I am like realizing that like my marriage is really over. Um, so anyway, it was, I was trying, but early 2017, I just basically bounced around. Like I went and I would stay with my sister for two weeks or I'd stay with a friend and I kind of, I had like this little closet in the back of my car and I would just, I would just figure it out. Um, then by May, he said, I'm going to be out by May 1st. And he loaded up a truck and moved out West where he wanted to live and thought that all of our problems would be solved. And I was like, okay, good. And I came back home and I had inherited two very old dogs and a cat. Um, 
So my dogs start having severe problems. Like one of them couldn't walk. He was face planting all the time. The other one had like very stiff limbs. So I'm draining a lot of money into these dogs and trying to keep them alive because I'm like, I can't lose my pets right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Went to yoga teacher training, which was very timely, total gut instinct. I needed that. But something was going on with my mom and I knew it, but, but she kept insisting she was fine. Um, also when we were getting divorced, his mom had been diagnosed with cancer. And so he was using that as a, you can't leave me. My mom has cancer. And I'm like, so I felt really crappy about that. I'm not, it was, it was hard. And somebody that I met going through my divorce said, okay, if you drop the filing again, is that going to make his mom be healthy? And I was like, but I can't do this to somebody. Like it just, there was so many conflicting feelings, but I also knew that my mom was sick. Um, but she had weird symptoms. And so, uh, early 2018, my sister and I, um, I was like the hell with this. I'm renting a house in new Orleans and I'm going to Mardi Gras. (laughs) So my sister was like, I'm going to come and stay with you since you have a house, like right off the parade route. (laughs) Um, it was fun. We had some fun, but we knew something was up with my mom. Her voice was changing. She had just had weird symptoms. Um, my, my mom's sister, her, uh, she has two sisters. Her middle sister, um, is a nurse. And she was like, I don't, she's like, your mom's not well. And I was like, eh, yeah, but she keeps saying she's fine. And I live nine hours away by car from my mom. My sister lives 12 to 14 hours away by car. My brother lives in, in, you know, where my mom lived. So late 2018, um, we finally get a diagnosis that she has ALS. And I don't know if you guys know about ALS, but is a very complicated disease that needs a lot of caregiving. Um, there's n- really no treatment. There's no hope for it. Um, I was like, mom, okay, where do you want to move? She's like, I'm not moving. And I was like, okay, how are we going to do this? Um, so through a lot of, a lot of <laughs> flexibility, thankfully my job was remote so I could work from anywhere. By then I had become a full-time employee. So I had benefits. But I also lost both of my dogs in 2018, which was hard. And so that just adds to the pile of shit. And I yeah, but I, you know what, Scott? Like when you have been through so much shit, um, it didn't even hurt anymore. I was numb. Mm-hmm. You know, they were so in such poor health mm-hmm. um, that I just I, I it, it was not nearly as hard as I thought it was going to be. Sure. And then. um. And I'm not diminishing people losing pets because I have had an absolute, like it has rocked my world, but I think it's just a testament to how much pain I was in. I understand. Does that that make sense? Absolutely. Um, But my sister tells me like right after my mom gets diagnosed, she's like, I think you need a dog. And I was like, I just, I was finally going to travel the world and work my little remote job. And I didn't have any pets. I had to, you know, I had a cat, but I could get somebody to come check on the cat. Like cats are pretty self-sufficient. She was kind of a, a shithead anyway. She didn't, you know, she kind of liked to do her own thing. So I, I was like, okay. I like the, I have a cat. Like the, the tone you, I have three cats and a dog. I understand the sentiment though. <laughs> well, I mean, cats are less, you know, yeah. maintenance. Yes, absolutely. Um, so, um, my sister said, I think you need a dog. And I said, you hate dogs. And she goes, yeah, but you don't. 
and I think you need a dog. And so I went and adopted the absolute most perfect dog. And when I got to the shelter, I was like, what's this dog's story? And they were like, well, she was adopted um, by somebody and then they went into hospice and died. And I was like, I will take her. (laughs) She is going to be on this journey with me through my mom. Um, And so she, uh, she was an eight month old puppy and she, she has been the answer to my prayers. So she was the joy. There will be pictures on our Instagram if you're willing to share pictures on of the dog. Yes, uh, she is adorable, and she's a she's a mutt. People look at her and like my brother in law says she kind of looks like Yoda, and I'm like, but she's cuter <laughs> than that. But she looks she's very distinct. Um, okay. I will share pictures. Uh, I actually have a sticker. This is her. I'll show you. That's oh, her. Yeah. Oh man, she we used to trade looking. stickers. How do, how do we get on the sticker trading list, uh, dude? Just send me your address. I will send you as many <laughs> stickers as you want. We also had stickers. Out, I will get to that. We had stickers at my mom's service. Uh, yeah, we gave out merch. Okay. <laughs> my sister right. was like, "Who who who has merch at a service?" I was like, "We do." Okay, um, I like I'm, I'm appreciative. I think this is the way to go. Um. So anyway. We get through, my mom gets diagnosed and uh, that was just hard. It was hard. And I ended up meeting somebody in November of 2018 and he was wonderful. And about a couple of weeks in, I like had a, we were after we went to dinner, I was like, this is what I'm up against. Like you can leave. It's okay. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to hold it against you, but it's not going to end well. And it's going to be really hard Mm -hmm. and I'm going to be gone a lot. And I looked over and he just had tears in his eyes and he was like, I'm not going anywhere. I was like, okay. Um, so I at least, you know, had that, but I kept him from my mom. Cause I was like, I don't know how long you're going to live and why. I mean, yeah. it was just, it was a bizarre time, right? Very bizarre. But my yoga teacher training gave me enough tools to where I wasn't a complete basket case. Mm-hmm. And if I could, I could just at least do some things. And I started speaking up for myself. Um, so 2019 was a hot mess. Um, I was traveling a lot for work and f- to care gift for my mom. I was sick all the flipping time, which I was afraid of getting her sick. Um, but we had some incredible joyful moments. Um, and uh, we had a final birthday party for her that was amazing. Um, and then she died at the end of November. And we took a couple weeks to plan her service. Um and and then had it in between Christmas and New Year's and then uh, went back to work. And I thought, oh, this is 2020 is going to be my year. <laughs> Did anybody else say that? 2020 is going to be my year to have uh, some I, joy. I, I actually used to every year encourage my ex at the start of every year because and I said it in my episode, she weaponized mental health against me. So she was always depressed in the beginning of every year. It's like, this is going to be your year. And then our cat died on her birthday. One of our cats oh died on her birthday. Um, oh so it wasn't her year. Um, uh, uh, and, and then 2021 also wasn't her year. <laughs> um, but I'm not trying to make this about me. I'm just trying to get to the point where we are running really short on time. I know. Desi. I know. And, this has been can, great, but do you have anything else you kind of want to wrap up with? And, and, and also we do want to talk about a little bit of the positive where you are today and, yes. and all of that shit. I will wrap it up really quickly. Okay. So in 2020, I go back to work. The company I'm work for is uh, very dependent on ad revenue. So uh, they lay off a good chunk of the company me included. So I have a job through the end of 2020, but it, 
I, I turned into a pumpkin at, you know, January 1st. So I said, I need some time to regroup. Like I have had a lot of pain and healing and I've got to figure out what I want to do with my life. Mm -hmm. So I went back to school. Um, well, I picked a coaching school. I decided I had realized that I, uh, wanted to be a coach in 2016. Um, and I shoved it down. So I went to coaching school. I wrapped that up last year. Um, I had a breakup with the person that helped, you know, that was, that was with me through all the pandemic and my mom's passing. Um, that was really painful last year and yeah. set me back in starting my bit and getting my business going. So I kind of cocooned a little bit more and did some more healing. And I'm in, I am just in awe and gratitude for where I am and the growth and the layers of healing that have happened. Um, and now I understand things on through completely different lenses. And a lot of things make sense to me that didn't make sense. Um, and so I, you know, I'm, I've come out the other side. There's still a couple yeah. little whack-a-moles, but they're getting smaller. Um, there will always yeah. be moles to be whacked, I think. <laughs> yep. And I'm glad that you're in a much better place. And one of the things that stands out to me is in a, your journey, as well as mine, as well as a lot of other people's is that it sounds like just there's so much learning that's involved in getting to a place where you understand whether it's understanding your, your, your father's trauma, understanding that some things in your life just weren't the normal experience that other people's have. And wisdom goes just so far and understanding and living intentionally always just seems to set people up to survive some of these traumas and minimize them and make the, the moles a little smaller sometimes. Um, is there anything, just my final question, was there anything, any point, anything that you can kind of point to that you remember that really kind of changed your perspective that, you know, you kind of went, cause you keep saying, control you what you can control, which was a huge learning point for me. Was there an event that led to kind of your understanding or, or really that you got this and can make it through? Um, the, you have choices. I didn't, I had heard that for years in Al-Anon and until that moment where we had that trip planned and it was like, well, you can choose to go by yourself. I had understood the concept, but I didn't ever put it into action. Uh -huh. Or I didn't know how to grab that tool in, in the moment. I will say that coach training really shifted a lot of things for me. The coach training school I went to uh, talks a lot about energy and how the energy shows up when you're under stress and when you're not under stress, understanding that and putting that in a model uh, really helped me. And the other thing that helped me was um, learning about Developing a mental fitness practice, which is based on the work of Shirzad Shamin. He wrote a book called Positive Intelligence, and I'm trained in his methodology. Okay. And that I did a deep dive with six, uh, six month deep dive last year with 12 different coaches around the, uh, around the globe. Okay. Um, and we worked a lot and a lot of healing came from that six month journey. Okay. Um, and it's kind of mirrored after a hero's journey. Like you have a quest, you define your quest mm. um, and you work on it every day and, and do these mindfulness exercises. So all, right. all of those things. 
that's awesome. And Very Desi, cool. if someone wanted to learn from you or get some of the information, you said you're a coach. Um, <laughs> is that something that's available to our listeners? And if so, how would they find you? Um, they can go to DesireeDoucette.com. So D-E-S-I-R-E-E-D-O-U-C-E-T. That okay. is my coaching website. Um, there's links to my social. So I'm on Instagram at Desiree.Doucette. And then uh, I have a Facebook business page. So I post stuff uh, there about about some of the coaching modalities that I use and some of a little bit of my story. Um, but yeah, so if people want to get in touch, they can reach me there. Okay, perfect. Anything else you want to say? Is there any other? It's okay if the answer is no, we have to wrap up. But is there anything else you want to plug or just say? What I would love to say is that years ago, somebody asked the question of if you could be a superhero, what would your superpower be? And mine would be to instill hope in people um, that are feeling hopeless. And I want to share with people that even when you are experiencing deep grief or navigating a terminal illness, there can be moments of joy. And so don't give up hope that you can still have love and joy and connection, even in difficult moments. And um, that's kind of my jam. I love finding those little bits. Um, And so if I can help other people discover that, I would love to do that. All right. I love that. And you're ending on such a powerful and uh, perspective. And I'm just going to ruin it by saying, I tell people that my superpower would be to walk through walls, but like Kool-Aid man. <laughs> so like, I'm just knocking shit down. If there's a car that I came up with that idea one day when there was a car that was actually parked, that was blocking the sidewalk. And I was like, if I could just walk through the middle of this fucking thing and cut it in half right now, I so would. So that is my superpower. And that is such a dude answer. <laughs> That's like a five-year-old yeah. dude answer. Uh, <laughs> I'm nothing if not a five-year-old dude. That is one thing that I will agree with. Oh, that's but, awesome. Desi, it's been great having you here today. You're so informed and like I said, wisdom before. And, and this is just wonderful. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, you've been awesome. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm going to. Yep. So the, the, the final things that I'm going to say are, first of all, I always designate people uh, as a decent fucking human. And you have passed the test. When you start... Do I get like a badge? Is this like a girl? I could put well, it on my it, girl. You know what? We're going to have to get some DFH stickers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been thinking about that. I so think that we should Scott's send funeral, them to. We'll need them for the merch table. <laughs> <laughs> I, I better, Dan, if I do not have a merch <laughs> a merch table at my funeral, I'm blaming you. That's fair. So when you're, when you're talking about taking care of people, taking care of your mother and wondering who's going to take care of you, it's a thought that a lot of decent fucking humans have because we do put ourselves out there. We do go out and help others and sometimes to our own detriment. So um, – even though there are times when it's not the healthiest thing for us to be doing, I think it also says a lot about who we are and, and the type of things that are important to us in life. So Desi, you are a decent fucking human. You've passed the test. Dan and I are humbled and honored and grateful in all of the other words that we have that you are willing to show up and share such an incredible story with us. It's been 
my pleasure. I'm going to speak for Dan. I'm sure it's been a pleasure for Dan. And as always, it has been absolutely, positively terrible. I met you back at Tanaka Fest. I